Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Elijah. I have no clever intro today. You know what we're here to talk about. I made jokes last time about Ronald Guzman, Andrew Suarez, instead of the uh, instead of the Orioles sale. This is not that. I'm not doing that. The Orioles have acquired Corbin Burns in exchange for D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and the 34th pick in the um, upcoming MLB draft. On this pod, we have talked ad nauseum about the Orioles' need to go and get a top-shelf starting pitcher. And, I mean, did they ever. Like, Corbin Burns... (laughs) Excuse me. I'm getting choked up now. (laughs) He he is undoubtedly, you know, one of the top five starting pitchers in baseball. There there are just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have acquired his services for the full year of 2024. And... I mean, the guy is just phenomenal. Going back to the start of 2020, Corbin Burns is fifth in innings pitched. He is fifth in ERA. If you don't like ERA and prefer ERA estimators, he's third in FIP. He's second in XFIP. He's third in Sierra, so they're even better than his ERA. He's fourth in WHIP. Um, His average WHIP since 2020, since the start of 2020, including the COVID season, is an even one, which is obscene. You know, like, for reference, Kyle Bradish, who I think all Orioles fans would agree had a pretty darn good year last year, his whip was 1.04. So Corbin Burns, over the last four seasons, has averaged fewer base runners allowed than Kyle Bradish did last year. Continuing on, since 2020, he is second in war combo of the value he provides on a per inning basis and just the volume he pumps out. And, it, you know, he's averaging striking out more than 30% of the hitters he faces, which is also a top 10 rate since 2020. Um, it, you know, he's like, just in terms of the volume you will get from him, he will go out there, he will eat innings. You know, people talked about who's going to replace the innings that Kyle Bradish, or I'm sorry, Kyle Gibson was throwing. Corbin Burns last year threw more innings than Bradish did and on a significantly, you know, higher, like, performance level. Um, so th- that's who's replacing it. And you're not just replacing it, you're upgrading. You know, you are getting, you know, 2x the value of a Kyle Gibson being in your rotation by just sticking Corbin Burns in and letting him work for a year. Um, so... I guess, you know, there have been some people talking about his performance last year, uh, potentially calling it a sign of regression. The first thing that I'll say is that even if, you know, we're going to talk more specifically about first half versus second half here in a second, but even if this was the body of work we were were acquiring, it's a 3.39 ERA over 193 innings. He struck out 200 guys. His whip was a 1.07. That, you know, that this was like, even if he had been this guy all year and it was just a little bit of a downtick, you know, he like lost some velocity, whatever. This is the guy you want at the top of your rotation regardless. Uh, you know, that guy might not, excuse me, be better than Kyle Bradish, but the Corbin Burns we expect to get is, quite frankly. And there are not 10 other people in baseball that I would say that about. I'm not going to look for a what went wrong in the first half. It could be kind of any number of things. You know, there can be nagging injuries. 
from the ramp up process through spring training. Sometimes it just like takes a minute to settle into your mechanics, whatever it is. The important thing to note is that, you know, it, it didn't go, he was fading down the stretch and showing signs of his age. It was something in some way, shape or form that got corrected. Um, in the second half, the OPS against him was 553. And my favorite thing in doing these little deep dives is like connecting a stat like that to something Orioles fans will understand uh, and that I will understand. So Taron Vavra in his time last year, if you remember, he came up and was really just exceedingly bad with the Orioles. And then he went back down and we, you know, largely forgot about him. Taron Vavra had a 560 OPS in his time with the Orioles. The average hitter against Corbin Burns in the second half of the Major League Baseball season 2023 was a worse hitter than Taron Vavra was for the Orioles last year. That is really like, you, you cannot overstate how good that is. It's, it's obscene. You know, it's like it, 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 you are making people who make millions of dollars look very, very bad at their jobs. And... Um, yeah, I, you know, so that equates to a 51 OPS plus, which effectively means the average hitter against Corbin Burns is half as good as the average hitter against the entire rest of the league. The guy is incredible. It's incredible. And, you know, like I said, he ended on a high note. His best month was July. Um, but the next best month of the year was September. It was the end of the season. He had a 2.51 ERA. He struck out over four guys for every one that he walked. Uh, you, you know, like, th- this is a guy who was finishing on a very high note. And besides the July month that I mentioned, September was his best. But that in that July month, the OPS plus against him was eight. And I, I mean eight. That's the only digit. He pitched 39 innings. He allowed 15 hits in the whole month. He struck out 47 guys. And the triple slash against him was a 115 batting average, a 218 on base percentage, and a 169 slugging. <laughs> this isn't an entire month. So, you know, like the peak performance of this guy is making somebody look like a double A call up. You know, it's, it, it's just. He can befuddle hitters in the most astonishing ways. Um, And I guess to get into that, you know, like diving straight into what actually makes him the elite performer that he is, it's like, just look at his stuff. The stuff is just juicy. I mean, oh my God. This is like, if you are a fan of good pitching, this is the guy. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to stop fanboying. Um, He throws five pitches. Uh, He throws a cutter more than half the time. Okay, I'm going to fanboy a little bit more. (laughs) He is like one of my absolute favorite pitchers to watch for a long, long time because of this pitch, because of the cutter. It is like what defines him. Like I said, he throws it more than half the time. I think what's so like artful about it is... Very few players will throw backdoor cutters with any kind of regularity. And cutters, you know, to an opposite-handed batter are typically a pitch that is to be worked in under the hands. You know, uh, you'll see Pitching Ninja say a quote-unquote dead zone cutter. Uh, It's the one that you can throw kind of... It starts 
starts right on the inside black, cuts under somebody's hands, and they, you know, swing over the top of it or roll over to the first baseman. Or if it's a righty against a lefty pitcher, roll over to the third baseman. These dead zone cutters are the way that they're usually deployed against the opposite hand. And that's just not always how he works. He definitely does still. Um, and he will devastate people with that inside cutter. But he will backdoor it. And he has such an incredible like command of this cutter. Um, and, and the thing is up to 98 miles an hour. You, you know, it's, it's a disgusting pitch stuff-wise. And, you know, he just has this pinpoint command with it to both sides of the plate. Go search Pitching Ninja <laughs> for gifts of Corbin Burns' cutter. I, I mean, it is, it is so astonishing the way he commands this pitch. Um, okay, back on track, back on track. So, throws five pitches, that cutter I just lauded for a couple minutes, that cutter more than half the time, a curveball is his primary secondary, then he throws a changeup, slider, and a sinker. Um, so to look at like the quality of each of those pitches by stuff plus of anybody who threw a hundred innings pitched, which is a good way of windowing out, you, you know, just windowing out who is a starter versus a reliever, you know, like Emmanuel Classe has a better stuff plus on his cut fastball. And that's understandable because he throws it, you know, 101 miles an hour, 20 times a game. And that's it. Um, Corbin Burns, of anybody who's thrown 100 innings pitched, comparing him to starters, has the best cut fastball, the fifth best slider, and by the way, some guy named Kyle is has the best slider. Um, he has the second best curveball, the 13th best sinker, you know, down there with names like Marcus Stroman, and then he just like throws a change up too for the heck of it, like I said. Um, you know, that is four pitches... Well, the first three pitches, he's within the top five in baseball. The fourth pitch, like I said, Marcus Stroman, you know, it's like, it, it, it's it's a top 15 pitch. You know, it's like, it, it it's what absolute guys, absolute dudes will feature as their best pitch if you can get it into the top 15 of the game. That's just like his fourth pitch. Um, and he throws, yeah, he just, I mean, he throws a changeup too. It. It's kind of obscene. Um, among those who threw 100 innings last year, like, same metric, he is second in baseball by measure of stuff plus, just behind Graham Ashcraft. Um, Graham Ashcraft, for those who don't know, is a... I guess he's not that young anymore, but in the first couple years of his career over with the Reds, has just devilish stuff. Also throws, like, 98-mile-an-hour cutters. Also has this wicked slider. He has no command, though, so being behind Graham Ashcraft by no means means Corbin Burns is a worse pitcher than Graham Ashcraft. He is just ahead, again, in terms of stuff plus, of our boy. Once again, you're going to like hear a lot of comparisons to Kyle Bradish in this. Kyle Bradish is third and Spencer Strider is fourth. Um, so the entire arsenal as a whole, you know, by Fangraph's Eno Saris' stuff plus metric, is the second best in the game of any starting pitcher. It, the stuff is just going to blow you away. It's going to be such a treat to watch him throughout the course of this year. I'm so excited. Um, so if you turn over to Baseball Savant, in terms of run value, and I should say run value accumulates, so the fact that Corbin Burns throws his cutter half the time 
whereas most people, you know, will use it as a complimentary pitch. That does benefit Burns here. Um, and the fact that he throws, you know, 190, 200 innings in a season will also benefit him here. Um, but so by run value still, um, 88th percentile in fastball run value. And that cutter is the most valuable cutter in the game. Uh, Buck Showalter, I know I keep harping on the cutter, but Buck Showalter once said, think Mariano Rivera as a starter when he was talking about Burns. Um, 88th percentile in fastball run value, 89th percentile in breaking ball run value, 89th percentile in off-speed run value. So the fastball, talked about the cutter, the breaking balls are, you know, generating as much value like over the course of a season as, you know, as nine out of 10 pitches in the MLB. And then the changeup is right with it. Um, I think what's kind of interesting about him is that if you look at his arsenal from a movement standpoint, and, you know, we were all just talking about stuff. If you look at his arsenal from the standpoint of movement, there's a really, really stark difference between his pitches that move arm side and the pitches that move glove side. Um, everything that moves glove side from strictly a movement standpoint um, and generating action on the ball, everything that moves glove side is just top of the line. I, I mean, you know, cannot be messed with by normal human mortal beings. Um, everything that moves arm side, however, is slightly below average to, you know, maybe even like solidly below average in some ways, like his sinker's horizontal movement uh, is like multiple inches off of the average. So this is kind of common amongst pitchers in that you will, you'll get somebody who can, I guess what I'm trying to say, you, you'll get somebody who will either favor pronating the ball or supinating, so to speak. Um, and so I guess a good example of Two guys on the Orioles. You can talk about Kyle Bradish as a guy who supinates. And when you think about um, those two words, pronation versus supination, I guess I'll back up. Supination is you think like if you hold your hand out in front of you and you turn so that your pinky's down, almost like you're going to shake somebody's hand. That's supination. Um, pronation is putting your pointer finger down and your thumb down. Uh, and basically, those are the two you know main ways that a pitcher will invoke movement on a ball. Um, if you are supinating, you know you're coming around the ball. That's how you get a breaking ball. Um, if you are pronating, that's how you get your sinkers, your changeups, etc. Things that will move to the arm side. Um, and so, typically, you know whether it's a matter of you know your hand positioning as you load, whether it's the arm angle that you come through at, whatever it is. Pitchers will usually be better at one or another. Um, and so it's very simple, but Corbin Burns is better at supinating. Um, you know, it's like he is able to generate action on pitches that move to his glove side because just the way that his arm and his body works, he's able to come around the ball in this really, really impressive way. Um, but what's awesome about him is that he and the Brewers have crafted an arsenal to you know, like work with that sort of preference uh, in his body. And so I just told you, he gets as much value from his changeup as nine out of 10 pitchers in MLB, despite, you know, solidly below average movement, like I said. 
And the separator is really the ability to locate that and the ability to play off the rest of his arsenal. Um, I think the best example of this, despite the stuff plus rating of 82 on the changeup, his pitching plus rating on it is a 112. And pitching plus is just an extension of stuff plus that incorporates, you know, like when you use the pitch and, um, you know, the location you throw it at. So, and there are more factors too, of course. I'm just trying to simplify it. So the way that he uses the changeup, despite it being solidly below average on the stuff plus scale, makes it 12% better than league average as a pitch. You know, he, he just uses this pitch so, so effectively. Um, and like I said, you know, it, it generates as much value as 9 out of 10 change-ups in the game over the course of a season. So this guy is somebody who just really, really understands himself on a fundamental level, knows what makes him good, and, you know, credit to the Brewers for helping to bring him along to this point. Um, obviously, this was not just him in a vacuum, but, y- you know, he has developed himself into this unbelievable weapon. Um, and he understands himself himself from the standpoint of what makes him really effective, and he knows his weaknesses too, and has turned them into strengths, I guess is the simplest way to say it. So this is doubly awesome for the Orioles, <laughs> it, because in my eyes, I look at him and I see what we all want Kyle Bradish to be. And this is not to, like, take anything away from Kyle Bradish. It's just Kyle Bradish has done it for one season. This guy has done it for four. There are really, really solid parallels between these two guys. Bradish is really, like, following a very similar progression. He came up. He did not really do all that well in his first year. Burns was a similar deal. He struggled in 2019. And then, you know... Burns has obviously turned himself into what he is. Bradish, you know, we saw him in the back half of 2022, and we saw him this year. Like, his breaking stuff is out of this world. His four-seam has next to no arm side run. You know, like, it's a similar kind of deal. Bradish does not, like, come around the inside of the ball, does not pronate as well, is not able to, like, generate arm side movement as well as he is coming across the ball, you know, and generating glove side movement. Um, so, yeah, Bradish's four-seam has 9.3 inches less than the average four-seam of arm side run. So what did we do? You know, we went ahead, we, as the Orioles, like I was involved in, <laughs> um, the Orioles went ahead and, you know, we have seen the development of Bradish's changeup and his sinker over the last two years. Um, and obviously, the intent with both of those pitches is to complement the arsenal that he has to kind of fill a hole in movement. You know, it's like if I'm a right-handed hitter standing in against Kyle Bradish and he does not have the changeup or the sinker or anything that can move in on my hands, I know everything is going to be diving away. I'm, you know, like scooting up on the plate a little bit and looking to shoot something to right field when I see it diving away from me. You have to have that sort of balance in your arsenal to have something that can come in on these major league hitters, you know, give them a different look. And in 2022, Bradish was trying to develop the changeup. I don't know if I talked about it on this pod, maybe on Twitter or whatever, but he was throwing the changeup really hard. Um, 
you know, like throwing it on the order of 89, 90 miles an hour when he first started working it. And, you know, we had all said it was like kind of trying to fill that sinker hole, you know, the like little bit of arm side movement, slight change in velocity. Um, but this year, you know, he's gone heavy on the sinker. Bradish generated six runs across the course of the year on his sinker. Um, I, I guess for a little bit of context, that's comparable to what Burns developed on his changeup. Um, you know, it's not the same percentile or whatever, but um, because sinkers and fastballs get used more often, so they'll generate more value over the course of a season. But, you know, it was a solidly positive pitch, and the reason for that is because, you know, we see Bradish, and he's got this incredible, incredible glove side movement, but it is forcing hitters to stay back and respect the inside part of the plate. Um, a right-handed hitter, that is. So, you know, so all in all, this is like for Kyle Bradish, who had this first taste of success and is looking to move forward in his career, developing, you know, like the type of pitcher that he is. I think there is just nobody better. You know, Corbin Burns has two incredible breaking balls. Kyle Bradish has two incredible breaking balls. Um, and they have, you know, kind of taken similar paths to success, I guess is the simplest way to say it. Um, and there are a lot of similarities in how they work. So I guess to that extent, like there are reports that Bradish and Kramer both have done work to model their games uh, after Corbin Burns. Um, so, you know, like just bringing the guy in and saying, okay, so that thing that I've been trying to emulate for years, can you tell me how exactly you do that? And I, I don't know, you know, I think this is just like a great fit. He's 29 years old right now. He's going to play this season at 29. We are, you know, he's a solid veteran at this point in his career. He has playoff experience, good playoff experience, not just like got there once like Jack Flaherty. You know, Flaherty had pitched a little bit more in the playoffs, but, um, you know, it's like he's a true, true professional. Um, so like just beyond the pitch arsenal similarities with Burns and why I think he'd be good from that sense I think it's also worth saying that Corbin Burns is just straight up one of the most cerebral pitchers in baseball. Um, I, I, the second we acquired him, and I mentioned earlier that the cutter made him one of my favorite pitchers to watch, but this article from The Athletic in June 2022 has, well, not has, had back then reinforced, you know, like just how much I love the dude. Um, and, and it really describes how he evaluates each performance. He actually keeps a logbook that the day after every start, he goes back through, watches every single pitch, and he just tracks his execution. He says, I don't care if, you know, like, I don't care if this fastball was the worst one I've ever, or I, I don't care if this fastball was hit 485 feet, if I located it well, if I did whatever, I consider that a win. Um, and so he just removes the results from the equation he goes ahead and he looks at every single pitch and just looks at it and says, that was good, that was bad. That was good, that was bad. And he says he takes into account, you know, factors like given count, you know, like if he if he's on OO and throws a pitch, you know, like six inches off the plate, 
that's obviously very bad for the first pitch of an at-bat. If you're on 0-2, you get, you know, like a little bit of wiggle room for that, whatever. Um, but so, you know, he is just looking at how often is he executing um, and executing to his plan, you know, because like I, I, the argument is if I do and if I control as the pitcher, if I control what I can control more often than not and I succeed in doing what I'm attempting to do, I'm going to have, you know, going to have good results. And clearly it shows he has. Um, the other thing he does is he writes a couple sentences on what he calls well, better how or what the article called, I don't quite remember. Um, but he just has a couple sentences on what he did well, a couple sentences on what he can do better, and then a couple sentences on how he can do it better. Um, you know, it's as simple as like, uh, I think the article cited attacking early in the zone as something he did well on this one. And then, you know, like staying locked in or staying loose on the bench as something he can do better. Um, it, it's It's these little notes that, you know, seem to make very little difference to us as fans, but, you know, for him, help him stay corrected. If he feels himself sliding in one direction or another, you know, th this is just kind of a reality check, a vibe check for himself after every single start to say, what do I need to do to get that slight amount better and to keep the floor of what I have been doing? Um, so just in every way, you know, this guy is a consummate professional, we really like, I, I don't know, I, I don't think that there's been a pitcher in Baltimore that I've been this excited about, um, or maybe not excited, but I've been this confident about, you know, just knowing that he's going to come into this season and just be an absolutely dominant force. You know, there are, there are very few situations where you've got a track record this long of success and somebody available like that there's a reason that people do not trade somebody like Corbin Burns very often you know he's had just multiple multiple years of this dominant dominant performance um well regarded as one of the best in the game no questions asked um yeah I, get excited people I I mean like this guy is just in every single way the real deal and if Grayson keeps up any semblance of what he did in the second half of last year, Corbin Burns, Kyle Bradish, and Grayson Rodriguez could be, I mean, you know, like in terms of trios heading up a rotation, I, they're easily in the top five. Uh, I, I, I'd i have to think a little more about it, but I, I mean, that, that group right there, that core group, and in turn, that playoff rotation, you know, that's what we look at for the playoff rotation. That, that is so good. And, you know, like, say John Means is our number four, Dean Kramer is our number five. Dean Kramer is going to be the best number five starter in baseball. You know, maybe except the Dodgers, but the Dodgers sign every pitcher under the sun. So it's, uh, I, I mean, we have instantly changed ourselves from rotation has some upside, but the back end of it looks really shaky. And just like, bumping those bottom guys down one slot has instantly changed it to this rotation is a strength. You know, this rotation is a force. This rotation is actually a positive of the team right now, uh, as opposed to the biggest question mark that we have. So I guess like, you know, in terms of what we gave up and how that impacts the Orioles in the current moment, 
I said that we gave up a comp pick, the 34th pick in next year's draft. Honestly, like if you take a step back, that pick is actually probably a wash for us. You know, I'm sure it really, really helped Milwaukee get convinced that they would um, sign on to this deal. But for us, Corbin Burns has expressed a very strong desire to reach free agency, which is his right. I respect it. We are making this move for right now. You know, like if he does not sign an extension, we have no reason to be discouraged. Uh, that That's, you know, the reality. He has performed well and, you know, there's no reason for him to take a discount. He has, I will say this is kind of an interesting thing about him that I actually very much like about him. He was very, very vocal through the arbitration process about how discouraging it is as a player. Um, he said, you go into a meeting, you say, here's why I think I'm worth what I'm asking for. And the team finds all of these ways to just say, you know what, actually, you're not as good as what you're saying. You don't deserve that. Excuse me, just burp. You don't deserve that. You really, like, uh, are not worth what you think you are. And, and you know, they, they do all of this stuff to disparage you, discourage you, and basically tear you down to save a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, which, you know, as a player... <laughs> I cannot imagine anything more discouraging because clearly, you know, Corbin Burns is providing them so much value. He's clearly just one of the best in the game and they're going in there and, you know, still like taking him to task and like trying, trying to battle over this, you know, And, and I, you know, I don't really blame the teams because this is the system as it's set up, but as a player... It's one of the starkest reminders, I think, that this is a business for them, and this is your life for you. You know, you you are just trying to do the best you can and advocate for yourself. And for them, you know, it feel it it they are giving the impression that your numbers on a page and your calculation of value versus cost, and um, I'm sure that's really really discouraging for them. So, anyway, I digress. Um, so in all of that, right, Corbin Burns sees the business side of things. And as such, you know, I think he is less inclined to, quote unquote, feel loyalty to a team. Um, if the Orioles want to extend him, they will have to pay him very, very handsomely. And they will need to demonstrate that what he goes and finds on the free agent market will not be better than what he has. Um, and that is in terms of the life he has, the coaches he has the team he has, um, and of course the cash. Like, you, you, you got to pay the man if you want him. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, so, all of that said, if he does not sign an extension, or if he, I, I guess, you know, like, if he gets Tommy John or something, goodness forbid, um, we will extend him a qualifying offer at the end of the year. He will hit free agency. I hope we try to re-sign him, but if we don't, We'll get a competitive balance pick back. It'll probably be in comp round A, and that's exactly what we gave up. You know, it might not be exactly the 34th pick, but the fact of the matter is that there is a greater than 75% chance that that pick comes right back a year from now. Um, so the pick from our standpoint is probably a wash. That's not a player that we like actively have in the system that we are losing. It's a player that we potentially could have gotten, and now we will get them next year. And that is that. Joey Ortiz. Um, the Orioles 
and Joey are down a true shortstop. Uh, this is a pretty rare thing in the minors. Defensively, he's a guy whose ceiling is coated in gold. You know, it's a gold glove someday. He's a guy whose floor is probably like right now in this moment, he is a top half of the league defensive shortstop every day in the major leagues. There's really no question about it. Beyond that, he has elite contact skills plus exit velocities. His highest exit velo in Norfolk last year would have beat out Ryan Mountcastle for the hardest hit ball on the Orioles in 2023. Um, his max exit velo was 114.9 miles an hour. So, you know, the, the concept of this like light hitting shortstop is not really the case. He, I, I just told you, 115 miles an hour. Um, he has, yeah, really, really good contact rates, particularly in the zone. I saw his zone contact was, like, up at 90%. Um, if he learns to hit the ball in the air a little more and is a bit more selective at the plate, fact of the matter is, like, he's really an offensive force. Um, but all that said, you know, as as valuable, as good as he is, the Orioles have a lot of infielders, and, you know, we are really, really well positioned to accept that blow. Uh, you know, I think he was, by pipeline, like our sixth-rated prospect. Um, we have Gunner. We have Westberg holding down third base, probably. Holiday at second. We've got Odias. We've got Mateo. We've got all of these infielders, you know. So, like, you're trading from a position of depth, and that's... Obviously, what you know, everything's a position of depth for the Orioles right now, besides top line starting pitching. Um, but so, you, you know, th this is a blow we can accept. Um, all of that said, I'm going to detour for just one second to say Joey being drafted was one of the coolest moments I've had as an Orioles fan. Uh, I played with him during one of my summer years, uh, during my college years in the summer. Uh, we played in the Cal Ripken League together. He stayed at our house for a little bit. Um, I'm not going to pretend I'm his best friend. This is like th this is not a flex, but I'm just sharing a cool moment. Um, you know, like I was watching the draft. I saw his name come across the board in the fourth round, and I, I mean, like I probably hadn't talked to him in two years, and I just texted him in all caps. I'm like, the Orioles just drafted you in the fourth round. Oh my god! You know, this is like the craziest moment. Uh, and I've gotten to see him a couple times since. Like, this is a dude you should root for. Uh, he is, um, yeah, I, I mean, he works so hard. You know, he, like, came out of college as this light-hitting, like, kind of, like, solid contact skills, kind of slapping the ball around, good defender. Um, and then, like, in the COVID year, the dude, I mean, <laughs> it, I guess the simplest thing to say, like, his neck just grew out. And, you know, there are no performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, he just... He went to town. He worked so, so hard uh, to be able to impact the ball. You know, he kept the flexibility, the instincts, the movements, the mobility that, like, enabled him to keep up the phenomenal defensive skills that he has. This dude is just special. You, you know, I, I, like, I cannot say enough good things about him. So I will be buying a navy blue Joey Ortiz jersey the second that he's on the opening day roster in Milwaukee. So cheering for him. Uh, all the best to Joey. The last part of what the Orioles gave up, D.L. Hall. Um, until this trade, D.L. Hall was slated to have a shot at the fifth starter role, probably. Um, and he had a free pass to the back end of the bullpen if that didn't work out. We saw him in a relief role last year. It was 
really, really good. Um, you know, we I remember Tyler talking on this pod as we were heading into the postseason. He was saying, who do you call on if you need a big out? And Tyler's answer, you know, despite Yannick Cano, despite CNL Perez, despite all of this, his answer was DL Hall. And the reason is Hall has this innate ability to strike people out to miss bats uh, that a lot of the back end of our pen does not have. Um, Craig Kimbrell obviously will be able to miss a batter too. He's been doing that for a long time. Um, but you know, like uh, we do see a good bit of contact, uh, toward the back end of our pen, not in a bad way. It's a lot of ground balls. It's good stuff. But DL Hall like has this very, very special ability. Um, if you go look, I guess, you know, when he first came up, you know, Sarah's put out stuff plus ratings and they are normally filtered out for a small sample size, but after D.L. Hall's first start in the big leagues, Eno Sarah said, if that stuff holds, he has the best stuff of any starting pitcher in the major leagues right now. Uh, that is the kind of arm that he is. I saw somebody on Twitter say, there is a world still where D.L. Hall works out to be Randy Johnson. <laughs> and that's obviously like a lot. It's probably not going to turn out to be exactly Randy Johnson, but you've got a guy with a pretty low release, a, you know, fastball that can touch triple digits when he's on, um, great breaking stuff, great changeup. It's just been command his whole career. And, you know, I will say that the command has much, has really looked much better um, since he came back up at the end of last year. I don't know. I, I, I think that the Brewers have every intention on giving him the fifth starter spot. I think that, you know, this is an upside play, and they have a good enough bullpen and the ability to keep churning out relievers. You know, we saw like Abner Uribe come up last year throwing 102 mile an hour sinkers. They can churn out relievers to cover a short start every once in a while as DL Hall, you know, figures it out as a starter. So I, I think this is an upside play for them. They get five years of him, they get six years of Joey. Um, I think that the Orioles have a chance to you know, feel the impact of D.L. Hall being gone um, in this, uh, speaking to 2024, I think they have the, like, the chance to feel that because I think we do need another arm in the back of the pen. I'm not going to say that uh, we're in a really bad spot as it stands. You know, with this trade, Tyler Wells is probably pushed into the pen. He's been an effective back-end reliever. We saw it even at the end of last year. Um, in terms of lefties in the pen, I, I was actually kind of surprised we had probably four lefties slated uh, until this trade. You know, we had Hall, we had Danny Coulomb, CNL Perez, and Cole Irvin. Um, so we've got lefties covered. We've got the ability to match up in the pen. And I guess all in all, you know, we don't really have holes between Kimbrell, Cano, Perez, Coulomb. We have a solid back end of the pen. Um, I, I just think, you know, it's always a matter of, do you want a little bit more depth there? The more arms, the better. Um, if we can pick up another bullpen arm, I think the team is better off for it. And, you know, we traded one, you know, I think Hall is still considered a prospect on, feel free to double check me on that. But I, yeah, we gave up two prospects, one guy who was already in the majors, one guy who was up and down last year. And, you know, largely 
the the farm system is intact. You know, we are in such a good place. So if you want to go and get a reliever, you know, you have all the prospect capital in the world to do so. We've talked about the financials of this team. We know that they have money despite how they want to act. So it, it the free agent market is a bit thinner with like names like Neris and Stevenson and such going off the board, but we have options to acquire a reliever and bolster the back end of this pen. Um, I guess some of the reactions to the trade, not just from me, you've clearly heard mine, I like it, um, but reactions to the, pra- uh, the trade, we heard Jake Peavy on MLB Network. He was talking and he said the Orioles are immediate World Series contenders the second that they step into spring training. One NL executive in an article I saw use the word scary about the Orioles. Um, And then the athletic writers gave a quick, you know, just grade of the trade. All four of them gave the Orioles an A. The fact of the matter is the Orioles dealt from, you know, a position of depth. This is why we have accumulated prospect talent. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the moment that the Orioles have done all of this work to build up to. Uh, I, you know, you really cannot say enough about like the job that Elias and his group have done to build up talent in this system, in this organization. Um, that that is what enables us to make this move. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what enables us to make this move. You, you know, we we just acquired as I laid out for you guys we just acquired one of the top five starting pitchers in the game no questions asked and we did it without even really putting a dent in our farm system without trading anybody you know who like assuming dl hall was in the back end of the pen he wasn't going to be our closer there's a chance he could have had some setup stuff but we've got other setup men we saw kenobi an all-star last year we gave up nobody from the major league team who is about to have this like crazy otherworldly impact on the team. We gave up a competitive balance pick that we are probably going to get back next year. It it really like, I mean, this was masterful. This was masterful. We got an immediate upgrade in the most significant area of need and gave up next to nothing from the bottom line of the Orioles in 2024. I am, I'm so, imp- I, I mean, like, it, I'm recording this a day and a half after the trade, and I'm still struggling to really, really put words together. This was so well done, and the Orioles are, like, so well set up to repeat as division champions, to head into the playoffs with, again, just, like, the most fearsome three-headed monster. The fact that Grayson Rodriguez, who was the top pitching prospect in baseball for literal years, is just going to be your number three. <laughs> I mean, it. you know, it's it's almost comical. You know, he comes out and he's throwing 100 miles an hour and your two guys have already gone and you're on your third pitcher and we're just like, yeah, we got another one. We got another one. He's right here. He's going to come out and he's going to shove and that's it. It sets us up to compete with anybody in Major League Baseball for a World Series this year, 2024. I am over the moon excited. I had a hard time sleeping last night. I just kept refreshing Twitter. 
Orioles Twitter was going off. I was reading reactions, you know, and like from all of all of the publications, um, watching clips. You know, it, it's just like this is what the Orioles needed. This is what we've been waiting for. This is a game changer. You, you know, this is this is a move that a contending team makes to ensure they are the top dog, and we did it. You know, like, I tweeted out last night. I was like, hand up, hand up. I was starting to lose faith. I thought it was going to be a Michael Lorenzen. Or, you know, like, we got connected to Domingo Herman. Uh, whatever. I'm not going to even go into it because it didn't happen. I, I, like, but I had started to believe that that was all we were going to do. And, you know, credit to the front office, credit to Elias. They kept plugging away. They understood the strength we had at AAA. They understood we have what other teams want. And they went and they made the exchange in a way that didn't hurt us and just gave us all of the benefit in the world. Um, and I'll say, like, I don't think it's a bad trade for the Brewers. I just talked about how, like, you know, wildly valuable both of those guys could be. Um, and, you know, it's a borderline first round pick that they also got in addition. So for one year of a player, I don't think that it's a bad idea by the Brewers. Um, but for the Orioles, it's just masterful. It, it is just so, so good to not hurt yourself in order to, you know, like acquire this premium talent. I, I got to stop. I'll just keep talking all night. So I got to stop. Um, be excited. I think Corbin Burns will be starting for us opening day. I think that we have so many reasons to be excited about this year. We are going to get together. It's been a lot of solo pods. I think we've all been trying to kind of develop this skill before we get into the year because, like we said, we're going to be putting out more episodes. It's going to be um, a bit more fast-paced, a bit shorter, so we're trying to develop this for ourselves so that we can keep it entertaining when we're not all together. Um, but that said, we're going to get together pretty soon. Spring training is around the corner. Obviously, exciting things are happening in Baltimore. Um, so we're going to get together and talk pretty soon. Uh, I am looking forward to the start of spring training. We're going to go see some go see some stuff in spring training. We as in me. I, I'm going to be over there. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I will wrap it up there. If... Uh, if you're liking what you're hearing, please, I mean, reach out to us. Like, I, I guess the first thing we love, like, talking, you know, we, we, we created this podcast because we all enjoy talking about baseball together. And the more and more people that we can include in that little circle, the better off we are. Um, you know, we all, we all love this team. We all have fun with it. So, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Twitter, you can email us at thewarehousepod at gmail.com. You can, you know, we're, we're around. If you if you comment, you know, we'll, we'll if you comment on the pod, we'll probably get around to it. Uh, we're on YouTube. We try to respond to comments over there. We just hit 100 subscribers, so thank you all for that, uh, for the folks watching the video. Um, we're around. Uh, yeah, please give us some favorable ratings and subscriptions and whatever if you are so inclined. We always appreciate it. Uh, always appreciate you taking the time uh, to listen to us. This has been the Warehouse Pod. My name is Elijah, and thank you very much. <laughs>